Yeah, like my palms are sweaty and then like my knees are kind of weak. My arms are heavy. Hey, uh, I believe we're recording, man. Oh, hello. This is Convince Me. That was awful. Welcome in, everybody. <laughs> Episode 44, finally, uh, of Convince Me Show. I'm Andy Rutherford, joined as always by Mr. Brian Bennett, Mr. Casey Elrod. Gentlemen, how's it going? Swinging a miss. That's all I'll say. Swinging a miss. For, uh, for the people that are listening and don't see the video, you might not be able to see, but it looks like there's some of Mom's spaghetti. On Rudd's shirt right now. It's not on my shirt, but I'm. It. This is an exclusive. Nobody knew. That was what we had for dinner tonight, and my child didn't eat it all, so there is some on the table behind me. Um, but anyway, welcome in everybody. Episode forty-four. Finally, it's a little late in the week. We had some stuff come up uh, that seems to be happening more and more lately. But it may be late, but we're still getting one to you. Uh, this week, hopefully next week, we will be back on schedule. But like I said, episode 44, uh, this one should be a fun one. But before we get into it, uh, we're going to start the show tonight with our typical weekly shill. Make sure you guys are following us on all of our social medias. Uh, probably our most active social media page would be Facebook, facebook.com slash convince me show. Most weeks, we have a preview uh, of every episode over there, didn't you? We haven't have been able to do it the last couple of weeks, but most weeks, uh, you're going to find it there. And again, that's facebook.com slash convince me show. Um, Twitter, you can find us over there at convince me show. Uh, occasionally, we get lazy. We let you guys pick the topics when we do. The poll will be found on Twitter, so make sure you're following us there. We can also find be found on Instagram, Convince Me Show over there at, at Instagram as well. Not a lot happening over on Instagram, uh, nothing special, no polls or previews, but if you're going to follow us on the others, you might as well follow us there. And then we're on YouTube, tinyurl dot com slash convince me show every single episode in video format can be found over on the youtube and of course the podcast drops every week most of the time on wednesday not happening this week since today is thursday uh if you're listening to this it's at the earliest friday uh but that can be found every week wherever you guys listen to your favorite podcast. If we're not where you listen to your favorite podcast, let us know. Um, we'll do what we can to get there. So all the shield aside, gentlemen, this week, we'll just let the viewers in on a little more here. We had a discussion about what our topic was going to be this week, and we didn't know if we wanted to do music or movies. And so we kind of found a way to combine the two. Um, and so this week, we're going to ask you to grab your popcorn because we're going to the movies, but we're going to movies that have to do with music because this week we're looking 
at the best movie biopic or best music biopic uh, film that there is. And there's a lot of really good competitors in this category uh, that we're not discussing, which leaves the door open for us to maybe come back sometime. But there's been some great ones just in the last few years. Uh, Straight Out of Compton, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man. Ray. What was that? Ray Charles. Ray, Ray. was great. Uh, Get On Up about James Brown. That was a great movie. Um, there's been a lot of great ones, but the two we're discussing today, I will be representing uh, the great Johnny Cash movie, Walk the Line, and Bennett will be doing the at least semi, if not mostly, biographical film uh, of Eminem, 8 Mile. And Elrod, you're going to be our mediator. What do you think about this topic as we get into it? I love Eminem, but it's going to be hard to beat Johnny Cash. It's going to be an uphill climb for you, Bennett. But we'll see. We'll see. I think you can convince me, especially with Rutt representing the other side. So True. Now we're going to get started tonight to see who goes first. It's very simple. Get your pen and paper out. And it's very simple, like I said. Pick a number between 1 and 50. Closest you can go over, you can go under. Closest number to this number I have written down. Let's go first. 1 to 50? 1 to 50. Mmm. Mmm. What are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Got one in. One, one in for the win. One right. in for the win. All right. Let's see him. What you got? 25.96. I knew that'd be Bennett's number, or at least the 25 part. Right with his old standby of 31. Well, I had picked this number earlier in the week when the show was going to be on Tuesday with the unfortunate news about my hero, Tiger Woods, but the number is 15. It's probably going to be his total number of majors. I believe Bennett was the closest to that number. So would you like to go first or second tonight, Sir Bennett? I believe I'm going to go first. Okay. I'm going to All go right. first. Tell me, why is 8 Mile superior to Johnny Cash's Walk the Line biopic? Yeah, I'm going to open this up with a question for you, Elrod. Okay? All right, here we go. Elrod, mm -hmm. look. If you had one shot or one opportunity to mediate tonight's debate and pick one winner, would you make the right decision or would you just let it slip? Now, there, there, there's many great movies that we could have chosen, like, like Rhett said there in the opening. But in my honest-to-goodness opinion, I think it's really tough to beat 8 Mile um, – you know, it's been out nearly 20 years, and the director, the late uh, Curtis Hansen, and Eminem himself, they give us one of the greatest underdog movies to date. You know, uh, Mathers, he, 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 kill, he crushes his, uh, his film debut. He really does. You wouldn't think this would have been his first film, at least a major film. And uh, the soundtrack gives us one of hip-hop's all-time greatest songs ever which we'll get into a little bit, which is actually the only rap song to ever win an Academy Award. And a little fun fact for you, at the time of this at the time of its release, it was the second highest opening for an R-rated movie in US history. 
So tonight, we're going to touch on a few of these topics here that I think show really just how much of a masterpiece this gem of a film is. And hopefully by the end of tonight's episode, I will have convinced you why Eight Mile is the better film. I like it. I like it. Love that song. It, that song is timeless. Uh, when did Eight Mile come out? Was it like early 2000s, 2002? It was 2001, 2000, 2000. You know, if that song's on the radio, I'll listen to it all the way through every time. If I'm just... 2002. It's 2002, I think. Yeah. Love that song. All right. Right. Why is it Walk the Line? You know, earlier this week, the day I thought we were going to shoot this show, which ironically enough would have been Mr. Johnny Cash's birthday uh, this week, I went back and watched Walk the Line for the first time in several years. And, and it entrapped me just as much this week as it did when I saw it in theaters when I was in high school uh, and then several, several years ago. Um I've seen it several times since, but this movie, when it comes to music biopics, really set the bar, a bar that really, there's not a lot of movies that have come close to touching it in this really narrowed down genre of music biopics. And the thing is, is a lot of times with these movies, you know, a lot of times people's normal everyday lives are pretty boring. Um, if they made a movie about our life, there'd probably be some highlights in it, but for the most part, it's going to be pretty boring. This movie about Johnny Cash's life, a lot of the crazy things that happened in this movie came straight from his autobiography and were real. Um, and matter of fact, there's a scene or two that I'll talk about later that Hollywood kind of dumbed down to make it not as extreme, uh, as it was, uh, just an incredible life this man lived and then to take that incredible story that incredible life and put it on a screen uh it really can't be touched and i've got nothing against eight mile at all it's a great great movie but i'll tell you this elrod as sure as night is dark and day is light walk the line is the greatest music biopic to ever be made and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to do the whole Facebook thing. There's no preview this week, but we are going to take a quick little break here uh, for a word from our sponsor over on the podcast and a slight half second uh, blank screen for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, but we will be right back. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rod, where we go from here. I'm going to start off with you, right? Tell me, I generally remember a little bit of the movie, but tell me what the core elements of Walk the Line in terms of the biopic are. What are the core elements of the movie? Core elements of the movie, I assume you mean by the things that were accurately depicted? Yes. Okay. Uh, that, Like I said in my opening, a lot of stuff in this movie is not very... I mean, there are some things, obviously, every movie about that are biographical in nature, they're going to be Hollywoodized a little bit. Um, but Johnny Cash's story in this movie 
vast majority of this movie uh, was a true story. His brother, uh, when he was a young child, died uh, working um, with a saw. Um, and that really happened. Uh, when, when Johnny Cash was, was 10, his brother was 14. He died uh, due to, a, to an accident with a, a circle saw. Uh, his dad, their dad kind of blamed Johnny for, for not being there. Um, and that is true. Uh, of course, he's, he's seen in the movie writing songs, even as a child. All that was true. Uh, he, he goes up, grows up. He gets married. Uh, he was in the army. He was married. It says in the movie that um, he's on the phone with his wife while he's deployed. Um, and she alludes to the fact that he proposed to her after a month. Um, that was actually dumbed down by Hollywood. They really dated like two or three weeks and he proposed. Um, so he gets married, has kids. There's a scene in the movie, I'm trying to go through his life here, where um, he goes to Sun Records in Memphis and basically begs the guy to give him an audition and get signed to a record deal on the spot. That actually happened. Uh, Johnny Cash went in and wanted to cut a record and the guy said that not just anybody could do it he'd have to audition he said well let me audition he brought in his band at the time the tennessee two they auditioned johnny cash has a record deal uh that that sets him up uh basically for the rest of his life that that really got him uh going through and into the music scene uh, of course there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of depictions and, and really a vast majority of the movie is his struggles um, with his drug addiction. A vast majority of that is true uh, that you see. There's a scene where he um, actually, I'm going to hold that off. I'm going to say that in the next part, uh, okay. but his whole kind of courtship while he was still married, his courtship to June Carter, all of that was real. Um Maybe not add to the extent of the relationship he had with his first wife, but June Carter, uh, of course, he he ends up marrying. He proposed to her on stage after he had proposed to her four or five times, and she said no. He did it on stage, and she said yes. That's a true story. Um, really, a vast majority of this movie uh, was true. The elements were true, and it was still uh, intriguing enough for a Hollywood uh, award-winning movie. So there's, I'd say a vast majority of this movie are true elements. Uh, okay. All right, Bennett, tell me about the true elements of the movie Eight Mile. Is it as, I guess, accurate as Walk the Line in terms of its uh, fiction and the yeah, events? It's, it's been a while since I've watched Walk the Line. Um, probably, probably not as accurate of a of a depiction as Walk the Line was, but it does paint a pretty good picture of a young and up and coming artist that we know as Eminem. Um, this movie is not exactly like a scene by scene summary of Eminem's life, but really a lot of the elements are there, and they're. Uh, a lot of them are relatable between the character of Jimmy and, and uh, real-life Marshall Mathers. 
Uh, real quick, some of the points here that are are real. Um, first, I'm gonna start with with uh, his mom. You know, in the movie, it shows the the troubled relationship that uh, Jimmy and his mom had. That's that's very real for uh, Eminem's life with his mom, and it shows the uh, addiction that his mom had. That was also really true, unfortunately. So yeah, he grew up in that kind of setting. It show, most of the movie shows, you know, him rapping in the underground scene. Uh, that's that's very true. You know, you've got a white rapper in Detroit trying to make it, which stacks the odds against you. And it shows that struggle that he had, which is very true. You know, he uh, he definitely had to uh, earn his stripes. You know, you know, it shows him with his with his crew, his friends, and they're all into hip hop. That's true. Um, hip hop for Jimmy in the movie Eight Mile, that's kind of his escape from reality. And many times Eminem, that's, you know, he said, you know, that that was his escape, you know, to escape kind of the, the crummy uh, upbringing that he had, he would use hip hop as an escape. And it really shows in the movie just the talent and the the drive, the determination that Jimmy had, that was 100% Marshall Mathers right there. Um, fast forward a little bit, you know, the whole thing with the uh, the girlfriend getting her pregnant, that's that's true. Um, she was, she got pregnant with their child while uh, she was living with, with Eminem. I think it shows him with Jimmy and, uh, at the time, Kim was 20, and I believe Eminem was 23 um, when they uh, when they found out that they were going to have a child. And it really, you know, it shows a pretty decently accurate description of the relationship they had, not uh, not verbatim per se, but um, it shows that relationship there. A, a big one, though, is the the shelter, the the the, the venue they did a lot of the rap battles at that's a real place and that's the actual venue that Eminem would be at when he had like these these rap battles and that's where he got his start was at that actual venue I thought that was pretty cool and, and lastly the big one the movie's called eight mile well, eight mile is where is where he came from that's where he he grew up you know it gives us an impression of what it was like for a young 20 something uh, Marshall Mathers, you know, just trying to make it in the world there. So that's some of the uh, the more um, accurate stuff that's in the movie there. Brett, I'll go to you. Uh, you talked about the true elements of Walk the Lawn, but tell me, tell me about some parts of the movie that were maybe not so true and exaggerated. Well, you know, I said this movie didn't have a lot that was Hollywoodized, exaggerated, but Come on, it, it's a biographical movie. Everything's going to have something. Uh, and really, just a few of the key ones that really starts out. There's, I talked earlier about how his brother died when he was a kid. His dad kind of blamed him. The movie really depicts his dad as kind of a drunk, abusive, uh, non caring father. And then as he, as Johnny Cash becomes an adult, his dad is no longer an alcoholic. Uh, or at least is no longer drinking, but there's real friction in their relationship because his dad still blames him for his brother's death. And a lot of that is not true. Um, there, there's no indication. This movie was based off of two autobiographies 
from Johnny Cash. And there's no indication that his dad was an alcoholic uh, or his dad was abusive. And really, he always talked glowingly of his dad, especially in their older days. So while his dad initially, there was some blame on him for his brother's death, they didn't have this rocky, just combative relationship his whole life. That that was really uh, kind of Hollywoodized. Um, something else that was really kind of Hollywoodized, when it talks about, um, and I don't know if, that's a true term, but it is now. Um, but in showing a lot of his addiction and stuff, there's a scene in the movie where he passes out on stage and they have to rush to him and, and you know, resuscitate him because and it insinuates it's some sort of overdose. That never happened. While he did perform uh, in an altered state more than once, he never actually passed out on the stage. That didn't happen. Um, just a couple of other things, uh, two things, really. The first one, there's a scene in his at his home where he's just got into it with his dad on Thanksgiving. He's trying to get this tractor out of the mud, and he's pissed off, and the tractor rolls back down into the lake uh, on Hendersonville, Tennessee, and he gets out, and he's messed up and all that. Hollywood actually dumbed that down. Because Johnny Cash did have an accident that involved his tractor going into the lake, um, but he actually almost died from it um, and had to be literally resuscitated uh, from that accident because he was on the tractor when he was messed up. Hollywood actually dumbed that down. In the movie, he just fell back into the lake and he, you know, hopped off the tractor and was fine. Um but probably the most Hollywood scene in this movie that's nowhere close to something factual. There's a scene where he's drunk and high and out walking and he shows up at June's house and she says, you walked all the way here from Nashville. And he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then she kind of kicks him off and he keeps walking and he kind of passes out in the woods and then he kind of wakes up and walks a little bit out of the woods. And there's these people building this beautiful home there and then he buys it and that becomes his home. Johnny Cash did not discover his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee, because he had been walking from Nashville messed up out of his mind. Um, that absolutely never happened. That's probably the biggest didn't happen uh, in that movie. Got my hopes up for nothing. No, it, it, it didn't happen, but I wouldn't put it past him if it, if it would have happened. <laughs> He walked a long line to get from Nashville to Hendersonville. He walked. He walked a more than eight mile. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Touche. <laughs> Bennett, tell me some of the exaggerated or maybe untrue or false parts of Eight Mile, if any. From from what I got out of Eight Mile is there's not so much of stuff that's just grossly exaggerated or not true. Rather, there's a lot of stuff in it that are kind of like half-truths, half-lies. And there's also a couple that are completely off. But um, mostly, yeah, they're really just kind of a little bit skewed from the truth for whatever reason. Number one is uh, his buddy, uh, Cheddar Bob. He never really shot himself like in the movie. Uh, it said that this Cheddar Bob character was based off one of his actual friends named Robert Claus. 
And he's supposed to be the inspiration for the character, even though they have completely different personalities. They say um, his buddy, this Robert Claus, actually become a semi-famous uh, uh, DJ called DJ Wreck. And uh, by all accounts in real life, there's no uh, account of this, this guy actually shooting himself in the leg. So that's kind of a, eh, that's not true. Um, here's one that's kind of half truth. In the movie, you know, they, they get busted for shooting a cop car with a paintball gun. Now, in the movie, you know, Eminem's driving the car, or Jimmy rather, Jimmy's driving the car, and it's his turn, you know, to take, you know, they're, they're shooting paintballs, it's his turn. So what's he do? Well, he shoots a police car, you know, and they, they get in all kinds of trouble for it. In reality, um, Eminem was involved in a, a similar incident, um, according to a police report, but the paintball was shot, but it never, you know, and it, it didn't bust, it didn't break. And also, according to the report, um, Eminem wasn't the shooter, you know, so kind of a, a half truth there. Um, a big one, you know, in the movie, it shows him growing up in a trailer park. He did not grow up in a trailer park, but rather, uh, a small modest house um, if you want to see the house that Eminem grew up with it's actually on the front of his Marshall Mathers LP the house that he grew up at is 19946 Dresden Street and even to this day you know a lot of people will go out to this house to see it you know um, another one he he didn't work at a factory he did he did work um, in a, a, a modest job he he, he wasn't working for a factory in the automotive industry, but rather he was a short order cook for a, a local restaurant called Gilbert's Lodge, which I think is fascinating to think if, you know, some of these locals, the people that were in the eight mile area probably frequented this place a lot and probably had their food served to them or cooked to them by one of the greatest rappers to ever walk <laughs> planet earth. That would be a really cool story to, to tell your grandkids one day. Yeah, Eminem cooked me a burger. I think that's cool. It just blew my mind. Um, let's talk a little bit about B-Rabbit. That's the name given to Jimmy in the movie. That's his nickname he gets, Bunny Rabbit. It's short for Bunny Rabbit, and that's the name that his, his mom gives this character, Jimmy, because of his big ears and his buck teeth. Um, in real life, uh, Mathers did kind of have larger ears, but instead of being called bunny rabbit or bee rabbit, he was actually called Mickey. So that's kind of a, a half truth there. Um, a bigger one in the movie, Jimmy becomes responsible for raising his younger sibling. It's his little sister named Lily. Now in contrast to um, real life, uh, Mathers did become responsible for raising his younger sibling, but it wasn't a girl. It wasn't his sister it was his little brother and his name was Nathan so that one kind of skewed a little bit further from the truth and the last one is probably the biggest one and it's the struggles versus the success um, in the movie it shows the character B-Rabbit and pretty much the whole movie is about um, Jimmy struggling to make it you know struggling to get um, an album together struggling to get a studio time, all this stuff. The truth is by 1995, which is when this uh, 
movie takes place. By that time, Eminem had already recorded an album called Infinite, and it was released in 1996. So, you know, it shows Jimmy struggling and up and coming and, you know, doing the grind and doing the struggle. I'm sure Eminem was doing the grind, but he was having a little bit more success than the uh, the movie kind of leads you on to believe there. A little bit more. All right. right, I'll go back to you. Next two categories, we're going to talk about how the critics view the movie um, and how then how the fans. So we'll start off with the critics. How do the critics, Academy, how do they view Walk the Line? Critics uh, view Walk the Line very, very favorably. More importantly, they view the the acting prowess of one Joaquin Phoenix and especially Reese Witherspoon. Uh, they look on them very favorably. If we look at the movie as a whole, uh, it was uh, it was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards. Uh, if we go to Rotten Tomatoes, which is a a very much used source here when we're talking movies, uh, got an eighty two percent score, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics. Um, but really when we look at what, it, as far as what the industry, what critics really thought of this movie, you look at the amount of awards uh, that Phoenix and Witherspoon were, especially Witherspoon were nominated for and won uh, for their work in this movie. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix won a Golden Globe for his work in this movie. He was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he was nominated for like seven or eight different award shows. I won't go into all of them because I haven't heard of some of them, but SAG was SAG Awards was one of them. He was nominated for that. Interesting note, Joaquin Phoenix won a Grammy for his work uh, in this movie because it's actually him singing uh, these Johnny Cash songs in this movie. Uh, of course, really the big probably the biggest star of this movie is Reese Witherspoon's portrayal of June Carter Cash. And like I mentioned to you guys uh, before we started recording, my goodness, did Reese Witherspoon look good in this movie? Um, you know, we talked about childhood crushes last week. She's like my all time crush. Um, I wasn't really overly familiar with her in childhood, but from about late adolescence on, it's all been Reese Witherspoon, and it's cool. My wife knows this because I have no shame and I don't hide things. Um, but anyway, I'm veering off course. Uh, her performance in this movie was fantastic. She was nominated and won an Oscar. She won a Golden Globe. She won a SAG Award um, and all these things for that movie. She was named one of the top actresses of that year of 2005 when this movie came out. Uh, and a lot of this had to do with this movie. So from a critical point of view, both the acting job and the movie, like I said, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, it was very well received by critics. All right, Bennett, tell me about how the critics view 8 Mile. If it won any awards, just tell me generally, how do the critics view this film? The critics actually view this film in a very positive manner. Um, Eminem was praised a lot for his performance and for his music um, in contrast to um, Walk the Line. Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon were professional actors. Eminem was not a professional actor, but you would not be able to tell from the performance he gave. I thought it was 
very, you know, very solid performance for a first time on the big screen. Um, we're going to go back to Rotten Tomatoes because I do believe we're going to change the name of our podcast one day to Rotten Tomato uh, Debates or something like that. We'll, we'll work it out later, guys. But it was certified fresh as well, 75% uh, from uh, 213 professional critics, giving it a pretty positive review. Uh, Roger Ebert, a very famous critic, I think that everybody knows, he gave it three out of four stars. And he said that the movie stands aside from your routine debut films by pop stars. Uh, another professional critic, Peter Travers, he gave it 3.5 out of four stars and said it's a real movie, not a fast buck package to exploit the hip hop fan base. And he went on to compare um, Eight Miles, uh, that final uh, rap battle scene. He compared that to the uh, Rocky versus or slash Creed scene in, in Rocky. He compared those two. Hmm. It was named number two in Billboard's top 10 best hip hop movies ever. And the song Lose Yourself won an Academy Award for best original song in 2003, making Eminem the very first hip hop artist to win an Academy Award. Surprisingly, this, you know, this movie about the struggles of some guy trying to make it in the rap scene, um, it's really applauded by critics. You know, it's kind of surprising that you would you wouldn't think they would uh, view it in such a a great manner, but they do. So I was actually surprised that the critics liked it as much as as I do. Yeah, that's uh, I really haven't thought about it that way, Bennett. But I mean, Eminem was a singer. I mean, he was still an entertainer, but he was not an actor, and he's getting wide acclaim for his acting. That, that's he impressive. Did. I just goes on to uh, his, uh, you know, his determination. It said that he lost 24 pounds for the role of Jimmy during that time, which at the time, you know, in 2002, Eminem wasn't a big dude to begin with. So 24 pounds is a substantial amount to lose. Sometimes you just got to lose it. Just lose it. (laughs) I'll stay here with you. We talked about the critics, but tell me how uh, the fans, especially the hip-hop fans, view this film. Yeah, so as far as debuts go, you uh, you couldn't really ask for a better one from 8 Mile and from Eminem. It opened at number one with $51 million in the opening weekend, which is good enough to earn second highest opening for an R-rated movie in U.S. history. Not bad. Worldwide, it grossed. Uh, 242.8 million. When it was released on DVD, it generated another 75 million in sales slash rentals. Back in, you gotta think, 2002, 2003, we were still renting stuff. You're still going to Blockbuster, picking up that eight mile on a Friday night, getting crazy. So 75 million in sales and rentals in the very first week, which made it the biggest DVD debut ever for an R-rated movie, believe it or not. Um, it sells also put it in the all time top 10 for first week home video sales and the uh, cinema score polls conducted during that open opening weekend revealed that moviegoers gave eight mile a B plus on a A plus to F scale, but the core demographic of people which generally was, you know, 21 and under they gave it a solid A. So to me, it looks like when you add up the sales 
and the scores and the records that it made or the records that it set, fan reception was pretty good for 08 Mile. Good. Indeed. Brett, tell me how the fans view Walk the Line. How does it does it differ from the acclaim it got from the critics? Have myself muted. There. I'm, not, I, I'm not a cat. You um, are a cat. I'm not a cat. Um, it, uh, it, uh, it did get positive uh, reviews from the fans. Um, now, it didn't have the opening weekend that 8 Mile had, I will admit. Uh, it did only gross $22.3 million, uh, in its opening weekend, but it was also released the same weekend as Harry Potter Goblet of Fire. Uh, which could have had something to do with those opening weekend numbers because, as a matter of fact, it went on to become, uh, in its run in theaters, the highest-grossing music biopic of all time for 10 years. Uh, So up to that point, it was the highest-grossing up until 2005, and it held that slot for 10 years until Straight Outta Compton came out uh, in 2015. Uh, and I will say both those movies, I contributed to the gross of both of those movies that I'm talking about um, in theaters. But so it made did pretty well, especially going up against, you know, Harry Potter that first weekend probably killed some of the numbers, but it did make up for it. People did go back to the theater. Um, you know, I got on my favorite site that you hate, Elrod, and I got on Ranker oh, God. Um, to see what see what fans thought. And there's not a list about music biopics, uh, which really frustrated me. But there is a list about greatest biopics about real people. Um, and if you look through this list, the top five, um, there's the King's Speech, there's Goodfellas, there's Chaplin. Um, all great figures, all great movies, not movies about musicians. But at number six is a music is a movie about musician, and that is Walk the Line, Johnny Cash. So if you go by that logic, I'm gonna say it's the if there was a list for highest uh for the best music biopics, it would be number one, judging by logic. Um, Maybe you should make one. Maybe you should make one on ranker. You know, I give them enough plugs. I'm not giving them work. Uh, they need to get on that themselves. So, uh, but yeah, I would say fans liked it pretty well. Okay. Fair enough. Final subcategory before we go to closing statements. Right. Tell me how Walk the Line, tell me how this film has affected the legacy of June Carter and John, uh, June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash, if any, if it, if it has changed their legacy or if, not, if it has. Well, you know, there's, there's a saying really in any facet of life that timing is everything. This movie was being made pre-production and started while Johnny Cash was still alive. As a matter of fact, it was Johnny Cash himself who pushed for this movie to be made from like the mid 90s. And it never actually came out till 2005. But but obviously before the movie came out, Johnny Cash died. And as we've seen before, we've talked about before, you're probably at your most popular and at your hottest 
right after you die. And the fact that this movie came out within two years of his death, um, you know, people are looking for that. When someone passes away, especially a musician, we go back and we listen to their music. We go back and we watch YouTube clips uh, of them playing or, or interviews. And I think the timing here was key because people still wanted that Johnny Cash. Um, and I really think this movie let that stick around longer uh, and kind of built that legacy because people attach this movie to that instant nostalgia after his death. Uh, and I really think that's at least part of what made it such a big hit. Um, and because of that, it you hear these stories when people die. Um, you hear stories about their lives. Well, within two years, people are seeing a movie about those stories uh and i really think it ingrains it more in their memories to see that that visual uh of that story and because of that i think it it really did uh add on to the legacy of johnny cash um because a lot of what people see and remember they tie in um to this movie now obviously it didn't have an effect on him the person uh, because he had already passed away, but this was something he had pushed for. It finally happened, um, and the timing, obviously you don't want the man to die, um, but as far as making it a success and making people remember it, timing was everything. So I really think it added a lot to the legacy of Johnny Cash. I know that Eminem was popular before this movie, but tell me how the 8 Mile movie affected his legacy. Yeah, uh, a little bit of contrast to uh, where Rutt touched on the legacy of Mr. Johnny Cash. I'm going to touch a little bit about the effects that it had on the person, uh, the effects that it had on Eminem, Marshall Mathers. And there were two things that I found really, really fascinating about how this uh, movie affected him as a person. Um, he, he experienced some highs and he experienced some lows with this movie. First, let's talk about let's talk about the good. It helped elevate his career. Um, by 2002, Eminem was already a worldwide icon for his music. He uh, by that time that by the time the Eight Mile came out, I believe we already had the Slim Shady LP, the Marshall Mathers LP, and that very same year, 2002, we got the Eminem show. So he's already on his his uh, third album or like at least well, he had infinite as well, but his third major album that we all listen to. But with eight mile, he makes his Hollywood debut. You know, you, you see, you see the face on the screen as opposed to just the voice out of the speakers. He, he enjoyed massive, massive success at the box office. And I think because of this, he, he gained new fans that maybe didn't really listen to his music before, but then they appreciate the movie and then they, they check out the songs. They have a, they see it in a different light, maybe have a different appreciation for, for his work. And another thing that it did is it, it probably brought back several of old fans that listened to maybe the Slim Shady LP or the Marshall Mathers LP and then maybe, maybe it kind of walked away for a little bit. You see the movie, you're like, man, I love Eminem. You start listening to that music again. So by 2002, you have like peak Eminem at this time. 
Um, the song Lose Yourself, like I touched him before, Academy Award won for that and became the longest running number one hip hop single ever. So like I said, 2002, Eminem's probably already on top of the world in, in the rap game. You put him on the screen and it just elevates him even more. But that was all about to come crashing down majorly. And number two, I want to talk about how the movie almost killed Marshall Mathers. We, we almost missed out on a lot of great music. Um, he said that there was like really long days on the set, sometimes 16 hour days. And if you, if you know Eminem and you know the, the, the drive and the dedication and the work that he puts in, he gives it everything he has. So this 16 hour days of the stress and the demands that he met, it really caught up with him. And a direct quote from Mathers himself said, one day somebody gave me an Ambien and it knocked me the blank out. You can fill in the blank there of what the blank was. And he was like, I need this all the time. He was having trouble sleeping. So somebody gave him an Ambien and, and he liked it. He liked it a lot. He, he got pretty hooked on uh, prescription pills. Uh, his his uh, main choice of pills were Vatican, Valium, and Xanax. Sometimes he was taking 60 Valium and 30 Vatican a day. Gosh, that's an insane amount of pills and it, it it just took over his life it consumed his life and in 2007 he nearly died of an overdose the doctor said that um when he when he od'd and uh was brought to the hospital he had the equivalent of four bags of heroin in his system and they said that he was about two hours away from dying but he, uh, he eventually got the help that he desperately needed. He, he befriended a, uh, a Sir Elton John, who was kind of his mentor. And it was a very unlikely couple, but it seemed like they needed each other. And um, now he's been sober about 13 years now. But at the time of this movie and a few years later, there's a very, very dark time for, uh, for Mathers there. Wow, that is that's pretty nuts. I, I don't see how you made it out of that taking all taking all those pills and, and crap. All right, so Bennett, I don't have any questions for either of you. This is a very close race, so I'll let you you started us off first. I'll let you close first. Why, in your opinion, is Eight Mile superior to Walk the Line? I've got I've got some very good opinions. My if my first if my first statement here doesn't win it for me, then I'm hopefully hopefully some of these other statements will. But y'all should know by now that I don't watch many films at all. No, that should be pretty evident by now. Even I have seen this film, and I like this film. <laughs> so I should tell you something. If I've seen this film, it's a pretty big deal. You know, we said, you know, it's been 19 years since it came out and it still holds up today. It's a very enduring film. It's not one that you you look back on and you're like, oh, I can't believe I watched that. You know, that's so cheesy. It's not, it, it holds up. And the reason that it holds up is because it's a very authentic movie. It shows a little glimpse to uh, not only his his life, but the way of life that it was in the mid 90s growing up in eight mile in that Detroit area. 
it's sneakily a very solid film and it garnered quite a bit of success. Some of the things we talked about was, you know, the song Lose Yourself and also the soundtrack was very good. I don't really have time to get into the soundtrack, but a lot of the songs that he wrote on that soundtrack, he did in between breaks on, on the set. It was very impressive. Um, the critics loved the movie, which is very surprising from this, this type of film that the critics would like this type of film. The, film, the, the fans loved it. You know, I talked about a lot of the records that this this movie set. Um, you know, the biggest R-rated debut uh, movie, blah, 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 all that. When you add it all up, though, 8 Mile was nominated for 32 awards. And it won 11 of those awards. And big one being the Academy Award that he won. And uh, I'm going to leave you with this little rhyme. To convince you, Elrod, you better choose yourself this topic, two movies, better biopic. You only get one shot to make the decision worthwhile, and I'll do the job for you. The winner is Eight Mile. It's you. Bennett's going to be a rapper, right? Calling it. He's gonna, next, next Marshall Mathers right here. I hope not. Too old for that. Right. Why is it walk the line? <laughs> the reason that the winner here is walk the line, there, there's I'm not gonna say anything bad about eight mile. I love eight mile. Um in eight mile, there's a lot of biographical elements to it, but the story of Johnny Cash in and of itself, just the story, not even the screen version, it is so fascinating. But the way that this movie puts that insane, crazy story out in front of you at the time that it came out, um, really, you don't see that a lot. I think the biggest deal about this movie, the reason why this movie is such a... a outstanding movie in the best music biopic that there is is the fact of just how true it is and how little things had to be hollywoodized um you get you know there's the story of of his brother dying and you look into it and that really happened you look at his drug addiction that really happened all these crazy things and like i said you add all that with the acting prowess of joaquin phoenix the acting prowess of, of Reese Witherspoon and just how dadgum good she looked in this movie should win it in and of itself. Um, the fans loved it. The critics loved it. Eight Mile is great. But it's got to be Walk the Line. And Elrod, if you don't pick this movie, you're going to have to spend some time in Folsom because it's going to be highway robbery uh, if you go the other way. here. All right. Well, here's how I, here's how I come to this conclusion. I like 8 Mile. I, I have not seen 8 Mile nearly as, as much as I've seen Walk the Line. Every time Walk the Line is on uh, cable, I'll watch it. Not as much as Twister, mind you, but that's a given. 
I love the story of Johnny Cash. And I, I think he would talk about this earlier, right? About how there's a lot of stuff that happened in, in that movie where it's like that it's it's almost too crazy to believe. If this was a fiction movie, you just wouldn't believe any of it because it's just so outlandish, some of the things that happened in that film. I think I relate more with Walk the Line because I, the story, I know the story better. Because you've got drunk and walked from Nashville to Henderson. I have, I, have not, I have not done that. Um, but it's country music. It's local stuff. I believe if you put these two movies up against one another, I think the critics would probably give more weight to Walk the Line. And I think the general public for the most part, would give a little bit more weight to walk the line as well. So it's a very close race, but I got to go with the man in black tonight. And that is Johnny Cash and a boy named Sue. I was I was really expecting that. Critics would give walk the line, the people would give walk the line, but Rudd argued it, so I'm giving it to <laughs> him. Hey, I, I can change my ruling here if I want to. It's my show. So basically, we're saying that Reese Witherspoon looked better on the screen than Marshall Mathers did. That's what it comes down to. That that was my that was going to be my final judgment here. One yeah. has Reese Witherspoon; the other movie does not. Before I mean, the other one had before, Brittany Murphy. Uh, are you really comparing her to? Re <laughs> I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't want to bring her up. Um, but <laughs> if it sways your decision before this is, this is it's not a final ruling yet. I didn't hear it's it. Almost. So it's almost. If this could sway your decision, the the actor Shan Michael Shannon plays uh, Greg in the movie, which is the boyfriend of Jimmy's mom. Michael Shannon was not the first choice to get the part. The first choice to get the part of Greg, Jimmy's mom's boyfriend, is none other than Mr. Gary Sinise. Ooh. who we know as Lieutenant Dane. <laughs> Can you imagine Gary Sinise in 8 Mile? I can't. Damn, shut up. <laughs> it took an entire it show. Happened. It almost happened. It took an entire it show. Happened. It took post-closing arguments. But Bennett was not going to let the show in without slipping some sort of Forrest Gump reference in there. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Was this one of your favorite episodes? It was. Um, you know, I can't, I can't go against the decision. They're both two really great movies. So, either way, I'm, I'm cool with it. You know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun doing this episode. So, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. There you go. Here's an admission to both of you. If it hadn't been Johnny Cash's birthday this week, I probably would have went with Straight Outta Compton personally, but. An eight mile would have won. Well, we may have to return to that someday. Because <laughs> I've never seen Straight Outta Compton. Well, then that's your fault. Yeah. But yes, I do want to say, for those of you longtime listeners of the show, um, we do send out our best wishes to Mr. Tiger Woods. Um but that Jack Nicholas versus Tiger Woods thing that I said my opinion could change, we could come back to. I don't know that we're going to have to do that now. Um, I've got faith. I've got faith that he'll come back. Never say never. I mean, it 
It could happen. Exactly. Never say never, right? Especially when I want to bet off of you, off of Tiger. Never say never. I, I, did I ever give up during those 10 years? Did I ever give up? You wanted Nine years. I didn't give up. Anyway, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, going to wrap it up. Either of you have uh, anything you want to say before we shut this baby down? I don't. I'm a man of few words today. I don't. It's a good episode. It was a good episode. Well, and hopefully next week, not only will we bring you another good episode, maybe, just maybe, fingers crossed, Grab your rabbit's foot and rub it real tight. We'll get it out on time next week. Uh, maybe not, but we're shooting for it. Uh, for Mr. Bennett, for Mr. Elrod, I am Rutt, Andy Rutherford. Or as Johnny Cash would say, hello, I am Andy Rutherford. And we will see you guys <coughs> next week. Until then, peace.